Hey, welcome to the Urban Crofters podcast. We're a church family based in Roth, Cardiff, seeking to connect, create, and transform the community around us, kingdom style. We hope you enjoy. Hi, so today we're going to be talking about Ephesians. It's the first part in our series on Ephesians, 10-part series. And Ephesians is so chock-a-block of good stuff that we're not even going to get through it all in, in these 10 weeks. And today I'm going to give you a little bit of background, and then we're going to look at Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. So it was written by Paul from prison to the church in Ephesus around 60 to 62 AD. And before then, Paul had gone on a number of missionary journeys there. He had spent about few year, three years there, used it kind of as a hub for his uh, missionary activity in the area. And uh, we also know that, according to tradition, the Apostle John and uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, also lived in Ephesus. So it was a a big place. In fact, it was a major trading town and a a major harbor. Now, that harbor silted up uh, also in the ancient times. But it it was a huge link in the East-West connection for trade. And in particular was this temple of Artemis that was there. Uh, this Artemis or Diana, and we're not talking about Princess Diana, and we're not talking about Diana Prince, Wonder Woman. We're talking about a, the goddess of a, the Ephesians. She was a little different than uh, Artemis the Huntress. In fact, uh, she was more of a mother goddess, a great mother goddess. And her temple is considered one of the wonders of seven wonders of the ancient world. It was huge. Now this shows an American football field. Think of a rugby pitch or a regular football field. This temple was bigger than that. It's bigger than the Parthenon, I think about three or four times. And in the middle, you had this statue that they said came down from heaven. So maybe it was made of a meteorite, this huge statue of Artemis. And now this was a great tourist attraction, if you will, like the Vatican or Mecca, where there's a religious pilgrimages. There are also all sorts of people coming and going. It's a big moneymaker. And that's why in Acts 19, you have basically a near riot that Demetrius the silversmith starts because so many people are coming to faith in Christ that it's that they're that they're losing money. It, they're losing, they're not getting, people aren't buying their trinkets. People aren't buying their idols to take home and put in their household shrines or offerings to bring to the temple. So this was a major, uh, a, a major site. And you can see there's uh, some, some copies. Now that's what's so interesting is that this temple doesn't exist anymore. In fact, there's one column in Ephesus that they've excavated that remains of the Temple of Artemis. They don't have the statue anymore. All they have are these copies that people would have purchased and taken home or, or, or worshipped um, as, their, as their own gods. But she's gone. In fact, this is Ephesus about 10 years ago when my hun- husband and I were on our honeymoon. We went to Ephesus. It's near Izmir in Turkey. And that riot that I mentioned, they would have come to this very theater. Now, uh, the acoustics of this place are amazing. And I want you to know that I did check myself because Jim was standing here at the top, way up here at the top. And I was at the bottom where these people are. And I said, 
I love Jim Maselli. And everybody heard it. Excellent acoustics. So as we're talking about Ephesians, before we even get into the, the scripture, there are some certain dynamics going on in a big international trading hub, uh, tourist religious pilgrimage city, right? First of all, we have a multi-ethnic congregation. So the, the church in Ephesus would have been Jewish and Gentile, non-Jewish, but it was very much a, a, a multi-ethnic congregation, multicultural, because Jews and Gentiles lived differently. They ate different food. They had different ways of doing things, different value systems. So these are coming together in one church. And of course, there's going to be tensions. There's going to be issues. And there's going to be questions of, okay, who are we? What is our identity? And Paul addresses this uh, in this letter. Another thing that you do, and as we said, we have Diana or Artemis of the Ephesians. So there's a lot of spiritual things going on here. So if we're worshiping God and we're worshiping Jesus, if we're worshiping this uh, and the Holy, we have the Holy Spirit, how does that play in when you have a huge goddess cult? So we see a lot of discussion about the heavenly realms and the earth the earthly realms. So you a lot of talk about spiritual beings because there are spiritual beings. I mean, I tell people I have a parking angel. Some people believe me, some people don't. All I know is I say, Lord, send the parking angel and I get amazing parking spots. People will pull right out of a parking spot and I go right into it. All praise and glory to God. As we said about the trade. So you're also going to have um, a lot of different issues and things about that. And how we live, how do we show uh, an ethical lifestyle or a godly lifestyle? So the way that Paul's going to address this, he's going to talk about who God is and then who we are because of who God is and how. What is our identity? Do we have a destiny, right? So you think of the, the Israelites, they had a destiny to go to the promised land. They had a destiny to bring Yahweh, the knowledge of God, to the nations. What is our destiny as, as believers? And then what are the implications on how we live? And how do we live in, in this society? So this letter is a circular, not just to the Ephesian church in Ephesus, but in the area around it. And Paul's going to address a lot of these issues. So let's take a look at Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. And I'm calling this the breathless bracha, bracha, and a bracha is a blessing or um, giving praise to God. It's a, it's a formula in, in, in Jewish um, worship. So for instance, even today, you'll hear Jews pray, Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaAlam. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. Blessed are you. But this one, all these verses are one sentence. One sentence, but thank God our translators have put in uh, full stops for us. So I don't have to read it in one sentence. So let's let's read this. Now I'm reading the net translation uh, just because I like that it uses blessed rather than praise like NIV, doesn't matter, whatever translation you're using. 
So blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we may be holy and unblemished in his sight in love. He did this by predestining us to adoption as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace that he has freely bestowed on us in his dearly loved son. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He did this when he revealed to us the secret of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ toward the administration of the fullness of time to head up all things in Christ, the things in heaven and the things on earth. In Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession since we were predestined according to the one purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, would be to the praise of his glory. And when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with a seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Then it makes you want to say amen after that, doesn't it? Wow. Amen. So there's a lot going on in this. And the first thing that we see, of course, is this, this idea of, uh, and I'm going to get my little highlighter out here, right? Okay. Blessed is the God and Father. So we have the blessed God. He, he is blessed because he is worthy of praise, right? And he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Jerome, the... Uh, who, who translated the, the Bible into Latin known as the Vulgate or in the fourth century said, this idea of every spiritual blessing, it doesn't mean, well, a, a bit here and a bit there. It's every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. I want you to notice this in Christ. So we are so blessed. So we're already finding out God is blessed. And because he is blessed and worthy of praise, he blesses us and he gives pours on us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. So not just Diana's statue coming down, this goddess coming down, but God raining down blessing on us in Christ. And so first we talk about who God is. Well, who do we see God is? Here we see the Trinity in, in this entire passage, right? We see the, the God and Father so we see God the Father. We see our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you are wondering, well, well, okay, how is the Lord Jesus Christ? He's divine. That word kyrios in Greek or adon or adonai in Hebrew has the implication of divinity because the worship of the emperor required that you would say Caesar is Lord. And Christians refused to do this. And that's why many of them were killed because they said, no, we have one Lord, Jesus Christ. So we have God, the father, we have God, the son. And then down here, we've got the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God who dwells in us. It's pretty darn amazing, isn't it? Okay. And so we have 
who God is. He is, we see that he is generous, that he lavishes. We see that he was there before the creation of the world because he thought of us. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, well, gee, okay, you know, I'm kind of nothing. What's the, so many people, right, say, oh, you know, well, why does God care about me? Look at all this huge universe. Or they talk about the universe. They'd rather have the universe do stuff for them than God. Well, here's what I would say is that God, who created quasars and black holes, he also created subatomic particles. And, and they've discovered now a subatomic particle that the laws of physics don't apply to. Now, how crazy is that? Because God is so creative that guess what? He can figure out things. He's come up with things that we can't even wrap our minds around. And that's why I'm not bothered by a trinity. Because if, if this being created us in this universe, he is far more complex than anything we can ever fathom in our brains. And yet at the same time, he loves us and he desires to be in relationship with us. And this is and this is what I find particularly exciting. So this is what we're looking at, where he says that he chose us and I and predestined us to adoption. And I want to stop here because this is where there are a lot of controversies, right? So there's one school of thought that is uh, like more Calvinist is is where Calvin would sit in this, uh, which basically says, that everybody, we are all sinners. And as sinners, we are worthy of death. We are not worthy of being in God's holy presence. But God in his love chooses some of us, has elected some of us to salvation by grace, not because of our works, through Jesus Christ, through faith in Christ. And, the, and, and, and there's a biblical basis for this. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you, John 15, 16. So there is a biblical precedent, right? But then there's also another school of thought, which would look at this and say, for many are invited, but few are chosen. This is more the Methodists who would say that, that all of us are invited to this feast, right? that we all have the opportunity when, when we hear the gospel to follow Jesus. But few of us raise our hands and, few, and, and, and are chosen because we haven't raised our hands. Now, I kind of think that there's something more, more than this. And, I, and to be honest, I, I kind of like more like what Bernardo Clairvaux says. He loves you more than you love him. And he loved you before you loved him. And that makes, and that makes a lot of sense to me. But where I find it particularly interesting is, is in this idea of adoption. And it's, I'm going to talk from my own story. Thank you. Thank you for your patience in, in, in listening to I was adopted at birth. Now, my sister was adopted um, also at birth. And then my biological mother became pregnant again. And they contacted my parents. The doctors contacted my parents and said, hey, you want another kid? And they got me. They said, yes. They chose me just as before, just as God chose us before the foundation of, of the world. God, I was chosen before I was even born. And then my parents, as they raised me, they said, Emily, you are chosen. You are special. We wanted you. I actually felt sorry for other kids because they knew they were an accident. 
I, I never felt like an accident because I knew that I was loved, I was chosen, I was wanted, and I had a destiny, I had a purpose because these parents of mine chose me. I was, was had dual American and British citizenship because they're Welsh Americans, Welsh, and so I'm Welsh American, so my identity is found in that. And, and who I am is very much their child. And then, and, and so when I'd look at this, when I looked at this passage in my twenties, I felt like, yeah, I don't, just as I don't need to go back to the old life before Christ, before his following Christ, right? I don't need to go there. I don't need to go, uh, I don't need to see, uh, go and search out my biological parents because it's like who I am in God, right? So I don't need to go and search out an old life or a sinful life because who I am in God is so much better. Well, then it gets kind of interesting. So when I was 16, I was uh, called to go into mission, ministry, and I said, no, don't want to do it. And the Lord showed me my whole life. I mean, 16, 17 years old is not really, you know, a whole lot to see. But he said, I called you from the womb, and I'm going to use everything about you, even your red hair, for this, because I created you for this. Wow, okay. Got chosen, British family, all this, right? So off I go to Russia and I ended up getting involved in Jewish ministry. Now, I think a redhead, I think Celtic people are saying, oh, are you Irish? I go to Wales. I see all these redheads. Kind of freaks me out because I'm not used to so many redheads. Well, in Russia, most redheads are Jewish. And my last name, Brewer, right? I'm in the Brewer family, is sounds Jewish. People of Ottawa, the Russian translation, sounds Jewish. So I got all this favor because of my red hair, because of my name. And so even though I was very much in the brewer family, my identity is as a brewer, somehow God used it for this Jewish ministry and also uh, non-Jewish ministry in, in Russia. So, okay, fast forward, I'm in my 30s, early 30s. My biological mother found me, my birth mother found me, which you know, I say, I didn't look for, she, she found me. And it turns out she's a very strong Christian and her mother had wanted to be a missionary and, and never did. And my biological father is a redheaded Jewish guy. Now, what are you going to do? Talk about identity crisis. I had a massive identity crisis because my whole life is I'm British we're British. I root for the Welsh rugby team. And, and that is my identity. I am a brewer. I am in the brewer family. Now who am I? And it was my birth mother who said, well, actually, you're in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. Your citizenship is in heaven. And it's like it snapped. Yeah, it is. And so now I'm in this interesting place where, yes, of course, there is this past. There is this uh, these genetics. But my family says that genetics rub off. People say, oh, you're so much like your mom. And they're not referring to my birth mother either, right? So who I am is very much in Christ as an adopted daughter. We are adopted into God's family. Who we are are full heirs, irrevocable heirs, sons and daughters of the living God, just as I am in the Brewer family and nothing I can do, as my mother would say, nothing I could do could ever stop me being a Brewer. 
right? And they and and chosen that that as I follow Jesus, I can't do anything. I am fully a child of God, adopted son, daughter. And that means if my daddy's king of the universe, I think that makes me a princess. You don't need to say HRH, but I'm but Princess Emily might work. Right. I am a princess. Okay. I am, as we said, we're a royal priesthood. And we need to remember that because that's part of my identity. Not to be arrogant, not to go, oh, I'm so much better than you because I'm chosen. But if anything, to be spurred on to action because God's lavish, generous, freely bestowed love and grace so overwhelms me, it motivates me. But also if God is so generous and full of love and wants to give good things and pour out spiritual blessings, aren't his genes going to rub off on me? I want them to rub off on me. And that's, and so that's what we see here in, in, in this passage. But also we have a little bit more here. As we, okay. Is that he talks about us as his possession. Now it's not in the sense, just in the sense of like, oh, you're a thing or you're, you know, I'm, oh, I'm just God's possession. Again, keep in mind, all our language has been riches, lavish. It's, it's intentional. We've seen God's wisdom, everything. He's chosen us with, with intentionality. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an accident. He allows its wisdom and insight in verse eight. So we see this. We see that his will, three times the word will, right? His, and it's not suitor. It's in there. It's his good pleasure. So if we are his possession, then it's something precious. It's like, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. Jim is my husband. He belongs to me and I love him. I am his wife and I belong to him and he belongs to him and, we, and he loves me. And so, and, and so we are in Christ. We are his possession. We are his beloved, but it gets better. Because what does he do? He seals us. We are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you have um, a, a jar, right, uh, in the ancient world, you'd have a seal. Now, there are the royal seals that are showing on the slide. But you would stamp the jar and say, this belongs to me. You might give a deposit on that to pay for it. But this jar belongs to you and its contents. Okay, and so in us, when we believe, God makes us, cleanses us by the blood of Jesus. He forgives us our sins, makes us holy, unblemished. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So think of it. The temple of Diana of the Ephesians is no more. There's one column. It's ruins, right? There is no more statue that came down from heaven. But there still is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and it's me, and it's you. It's all of us who believe, because what happens is the Holy Spirit, not a little Jesus running around our heart, and we accept Jesus in our heart, but the Holy Spirit comes into us. We are marked. We, we are sealed as God's, and God's very Spirit lives in us to teach us, to motivate us, to help us to spread God's kingdom on this earth. Wow. So not only is my identity in Christ as an adopted daughter of God, 
but I have a destiny that God has, has thought about that he wants me to participate in. And he has given me his very spirit to do that. And then he says, you have an inheritance. And just like the Israelites going into the promised land, what is our inheritance? Our inheritance is eternity of union with God and one another. Wow. Our inheritance is this universe. I mean, wow. If that doesn't knock your socks off, I don't know what will. So I want to encourage you. As you, as, the, as people talk about, are searching for their identity, everyone's saying, oh, well, this is my identity. Well, this is my, and, and you have to respect my identity or, or they're struggling with identity. Find your identity in Christ. And, uh, and that seal, the Holy Spirit that marks you as God's, that who your father's, who your, and, and who has paid a, a huge price in his death on the cross, Jesus did, and his resurrection from the dead that has allowed us to be filled with the Spirit. Let that teach you and help us to grow and, and in the destiny that God has for us to spread his love, to spread his generous, lavish love to this world until Jesus comes again into the fulfillment of times where Jesus who reigns over heaven and on earth returns. Thank you. Okay, so some of our questions, I want you to reread the passage together. I want you to think about what particularly strikes you of what God reveals about himself and his character. What strikes you about who we are in Christ as believers, especially as a result of God's actions towards us? And uh, what are the implications, right? What does it make you think about? And then how does understanding your identity in Christ affect your view of yourself and how you live and treat others? And anything else that kind of comes up from our discussion here? I want you to, to know that as you're walking around, you are a prince, you are a princess. You are the precious creation, beloved of the living God, sealed by the Holy Spirit. And, and we're going to talk a lot more about that. A lot more about that next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Urban Crofters podcast. To connect with more of who we are and what we do, visit our website at urbancrofters.co.uk or follow us on socials at urban underscore crofters.